The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. The show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Tuesday edition of the Leach Report, coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studios in Lexington. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the show. Uh, no game tonight. Normally, the Cats play on Tuesdays, but uh, this is a Wednesday week game, so they're at Georgia tomorrow before facing LSU in Rupp on Saturday. And uh, we'll talk about the basketball Cats with Larry Vaught today, uh, Rob Doster from The Rebound, college basketball writer. Uh, we'll lead off with... Um, good buddy of mine, Steve Hayes, who I uh, do my baseball trips with every summer that I, I have talked about before. And uh, Steve has written a book about a fictional baseball story, and uh, he's doing doing great. So happy for him, and uh, we'll talk to him a little bit and uh, get a little bit of the backstory on the book. So that's the lineup for today as we roll into the Wildcat news of the day. John Calipari uh, generating interest on his radio show last night with things that uh, he says starting with where we're at is unacceptable that's the uh, opening line for cal and i think every, everyone in the bbn would uh, would agree with that the key is how do they get back to where it is where they want it to be um he said that uh, he didn't phrase some of his comments after the game in his uh, news conference as well as he could have uh but he also reiterated his uh, you know his uh, commitment to the mental health of uh, his players and uh, trying to manage that in a unusual year. He said, uh, uh, "Cal uh, is uh, people say he's different." He said that's because he is this year uh, coaching some things differently because of the circumstances. He also talked about that he told his players starting spots are up for grabs, and he said uh, two players have elevated themselves into starting roles if they can hold them through their performance in practice today. Um, I think I think of the guys who who play. Um, I think the only two guys who have not started a game are uh, Dante Allen and Jacob Toppin. I think everybody else has started at least once, including Cameron Fletcher, uh, who started I think after his strong performance against Moorhead. Uh, he talked about Terrence Clark still uh, more than a week away from returning from his leg injury. And uh, Calipari talked about that there's uh, one group of five that, as they've studied analytics, have uh, been has been more productive, so that group will get more time together. Uh, maybe that'll be the starting group. We'll see tomorrow when they uh, play the Georgia Bulldogs, who uh, come off a win over Ole Miss uh, on Saturday. News out of Tennessee yesterday with the firing of football coach Jeremy Pruitt and several of his staff members. Uh, A.D. Phil Fulmer is retiring. Uh, Tennessee, after an internal investigation, uh, says that it is making this move on Coach Pruitt with cause. Uh, So we'll see how the legalities of all of that play out, but just uh, more uh, turnover in the Tennessee football program, which has been uh, the, the constant for them in the last decade plus. While we're on the subject of football, Pro Football Focus has a list of the top 101 players from the 2020 season. Three Wildcats are on it. 
At number 41 is Darian Kennard. At number 57 is Drake Jackson. And at number 71 is Chris Rodriguez. And all of course, or two of those three, of course, back for next season for Kentucky. Interesting note out of the NBA that I missed on uh, Sunday night. Uh, De'Aaron Fox had a huge, huge game for the Kings. Unfortunately, came in a loss, but he had 43 points and 13 assists. Last Kings player to do that, Tiny Archibald. I think it was in 1973. And a uh, future Wildcat, Nolan Hickman, his team will be playing on ESPNU today at 5 Eastern time. So if you want to check him out, uh, make a note of that, ESPNU at uh, 5 Eastern time today. Going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with my friend Steve uh, about his book, Larry Vaughn, a little later. Rob Doster from The Rebound. We'll finish us up on this Tuesday edition of The Leach Report. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington in Hamburg and in Palomar. Go to Top Breakfast in Lexington. Seven years running at Herald Leader Rear's Choice Bowl. We'll be right back. Find out more about the voice of the cats and get great coverage of the Big Blue at TomLeachKY.com. Back in 1997, I was getting ready to start uh, as the voice of Kentucky football for the UK Network, and was going to be working with uh, Jeff Van Note, who I didn't uh, know all that well at the time. So I called Noter and uh, said, how about if I come down uh, for a Braves game and uh, just kind of hang out, and we can uh, get to know each other before we start working together. And uh, he said that would be great, and I asked a buddy to ride along, and from that was born an annual tradition of uh, going to baseball games, uh, different parks around the country every summer. So my buddy Steve Hayes joins us right now. We started at Turner Field in Atlanta in 1997. Yeah, we got to know Jeff real well that weekend, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, in fact, we had a, a treat because we uh, went to his radio show he was doing on WSB in Atlanta at that time with, Le- with the uh, legendary Georgia announcer Larry Munson, and we sat there and uh, listened to them uh, tell stories at the restaurant where they did their show on a Friday afternoon and uh, had a great time, went to a Braves game. Oh, and yeah. Then uh, next year we went to Baltimore and then on and on and on. And somewhere along the way, uh, you were inspired to – uh, write a book, and uh, it's it's out now, 21 Down in Vegas, Magic in the Madness uh, by Steve Hayes, and you can find yeah. it on Amazon and all the other uh, booksellers, and uh, it's uh, doing doing very well, so happy for you for that, and just uh, well, give our you. listeners a little backstory on uh, how you came to come up with this tale. Well, you are with me all the time, and you know, when you're in an airplane, and, and we've traveled all, all across the country talking baseball as a writer i always try to put myself into a situation of what if and back in 2006 i started writing this book it took me 17 years to complete it a year to edit it with my publisher and it was released on christmas eve of this past year 2020 but uh it's the story of a small town a college team the the smallest uh, team ever to make it to the college world series and they're playing in the finals against lsu and they lose by a play at the plate. Well, this little college is located in Portsmouth, Ohio, which is where I'm from uh, originally. So 
Anyway, while this was going on, I had to put a fictitious team in Las Vegas called the Las Vegas Vipers, where this guy had all this money, and his team had been in there for 10 years, but had done nothing, and he'd spent all this money. Well, while his team was floundering on the field, he was watching this little team from Portsmouth play on ESPN and lose the World Series by one play at the plate. Well, long story short, he got fascinated by the way these guys played, so he decided to buy the team and move them to Las Vegas and replace his current team after the All-Star break of the 2006 season. And uh, that's kind of the madness. <laughs> but I had to do a lot of research to make sure, could this happen? And uh, and in the book, I kind of really enjoyed it, because all, in the 2006 season, all the media, all the TV, all the radio, all the newspaper writers are and the ESPN guys are all the real guys. It's like a reality a fantasy story being inserted into reality. And if I can mention, the one of the most inspirational characters of the book happens to be the manager of the team <laughs> named Tommy Leach. Now, when people read the book and they go, Tommy Leach, I wonder if it's the one and the same. Well, I had to tell Keith Madison, because he's in the book too. Keith is just a wonderful guy, and I he's the college coach. You're the major league coach. I told Keith, I said, I had to give you a little more of a locker room swag to your name. So I figured Tom Leach is good, but Tommy gives you that, that kind of manager feel. Well, folks right here will recognize you know, some other familiar names. Our, our friend Ralph Hackers, I think the, uh, the play-by-play voice for the team uh, on their, yeah, yeah. their run. And uh, as you mentioned, Keith Madison, the longtime U.K. baseball coach, is in there and it's just a it's a fun uh, read, it, it, you know, and it's not just all about baseball. There's other, there's backstories on you know relationships uh, outside the field yes, of play yes, and yes, things yes. that uh, as I told you when I you were uh, one of our trips maybe last two summers ago I think when we were up in Detroit I was uh, reading the unfinished uh, manuscript and I said this because I could easily see this being a you know some kind of Disney movie. It's just a a charming story and. Um, I uh, I think it's a lot of fun. There's a great twist at the at the end as to how it plays out, which uh, I don't think you'll see coming. So uh, it's uh, if you're a baseball fan in particular, it's uh, it's a fun fun read. And um, as you said, this is something that you know you just kind of I guess had the idea and then just kind of worked on it piecemeal over these many years. Well, it took me 17 years, Tom. Yeah, it did a little bit because I didn't want it to be just a guy baseball book. I wanted it to have a love story. I wanted to have some other elements. So I put it down for a while and I'd pick it up. But um, I'm a very spiritual guy. And about two, about two years ago, I, I really got the call to finish this thing and I worked on it very hard. And uh, Stratton Publishing out of uh, New York picked it up. I signed a two book deal with them. And this is the first one. And they were very, very supportive. And, you know, writing a book is 543 pages. So if that tells you anything, uh, there had to be a lot of editing to be done to make sure that all the dots connected. Uh, and, and that was a little uh, long and tedious during the – that took a whole year. So all in all, this book from beginning to end took 18 years to finish. But you know what? I'm very proud of it. And I think, I, as a matter of fact, talking about people that are in it, all the baseball teams are real. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds are in it. Of course, Marty. It was, it was kind of neat because in the 2006 season – I was able to reunite Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxall together because Joe was still with us. And uh, I talked to Marty about a week ago because he has a copy of the book, too. And so it's kind of neat that the the people in the baseball world 
that, that I've known and loved are embracing this as well. Well, that's uh, that's neat. And you know, as a longtime uh, Pittsburgh Pirates star, Al Oliver lives there in Portsmouth, right? I know he's on your show Al, frequently. Yes, Al's in it. Uh, Don Gullett's in it. Uh, Brandon Webb from Ashland, Kentucky. All the baseball heritage that is in our area, including Kentucky uh, and Keith Madison, because Keith, to me, was in putting people in this book, Tom. It was kind of like I was. Uh, drafting people for a movie. I wanted to put the right people in the right spot. And there's no better baseball coach, in my opinion, than Keith Madison. Keith was just the best, and so I kind of inserted him in that role. And uh, he's got a copy of the book. He's, he's reading it. And so it's just kind of a, a love story between baseball. And one thing I try to do, and I think you've seen that in kind of reading some of the early uh, – uh, copies of what we put out. I wanted to put romance back in it, not only just for people, but for baseball. Uh, some people have called it, some of the critics have said, it, it's the best baseball book since Field of Dreams and The Natural, and that really humbles me because that's kind of what I was trying to do with this book. Well, I'm uh, proud of you for uh, the uh, work you've done. It's a uh, it's a fun read, 21 Down in Vegas. Folks can find it uh, on uh, all the, the various book-selling websites. And, um, you know, when... Amazon uh, when Prime the, is the best. If you go right Amazon to Amazon Prime. Prime. Amazon Prime, just punch it in. And uh, I think if you, just, if you just put in 21 Down in Vegas, it goes right to the book. And uh, some someday we'll be going to a movie premiere. We'll work a baseball game into that trip. <laughs> well, you know what's kind of funny this year? Our baseball trip was in Moorhead. <laughs> yeah, it's the thing we we could there was there wasn't a baseball trip to go to, so we met at a uh, at a sports bar in Moorhead because Steve is in Portsmouth, and, and so that was kind of middle ground. And so we met there and watched the Reds get blown out one day. Oh, it was it was awful. It was awful, but it's still, you know, you're you're a great traveling companion. We we have such fun on these trips because of our passion for sports, and baseball, and it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting back up and doing it again in 2021, buddy. But uh, amen, brother, for uh, your support of the book. And again, Tom Tommy Leach <laughs> is in this book, and you're going to love the character that Tommy plays. All right. Well, it sounds great. Um, I I love it, and uh, I've got. Uh, but three copies sitting here on my desk to send a couple of them out to a couple of our buddies. So I'm going to get that done this week. And uh, keep us surprised of how it's doing. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you, Tom Leach. Love you, brother. Love you, too. See you soon. Uh, we're going to get to a break. Uh, Larry Vaught coming up next. It is the Leach Report Radio Network on the uh, Clark's Pump and Shop Studios. We'll be right back. Get to a radio? You can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com. Now, back to the show. And back to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline to bring on Larry Vaught from Vaughtsviews.com and YourSportsEdge.com. Did you get to hear part of the interview with Mr. Hayes there, Larry? I did not. I'm, I'm sorry I did not. That's <laughs> a, a pleasant name from the past there, Tom. But yeah, you and uh, Steve... You and Steve worked together over in uh, Danville when he was uh, doing radio over there for a time in his career, and uh, you'll have to check out his new book. I sure will. I will definitely be listening to the podcast when you get it up there. Uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about Kentucky basketball to start. We've got some football topics to touch on, too. But uh, Cal's uh, comments on, on the radio show last night after the game on Saturday, leading into now uh, you know another important game coming off two straight losses. What's your take on where we are? Well, I will just say, as I was listening to you and John, especially the first half hour of the show last night, I was a little perplexed. I didn't quite know that I, 
understood what he was saying, that he kind of said he didn't mean, mean to say something the way it sounded, but that's exactly what he meant. And uh, and I don't know. It, it's it's kind of hard to, to figure out right now. I think he's just probably as lost as, and confused as what uh, Kentucky fans are right now. And this team is just kind of mind-boggling to try to figure out, Tom. But the, the one consistent thing with them, they just are not very good offensively. And when you can't score points, it's it's hard to win games. And when you're trying to score and you've got a guy like Dante Allen that can score for you, I think fans are just going to be upset or wondering why he's not playing more because at least one thing he has shown is he can score. And they, on Saturday, had trouble making twos, threes, and free throws. And as I said yesterday, there's not much else left when that's the case. It, uh, it is hard to uh, to watch when a team struggles offensively more than anything else. Yes, it is. And it was kind of funny that Saturday struggled so bad offensively that you almost lost track of the part that the second half, they also gave up 45 points, which this team just obviously can't do in a half and have a chance to win, but defensively in the second half against Auburn, and part of that you give credit to Auburn, but still, when a team doesn't score 21 of its first 25 possessions in the second half, gets 45 points, you got to also wonder where the heck did our defense go. Part of it, I think, was uh, that what's been a persistent problem for this team was the turnovers at halftime. I remember Mike and I uh, were talking about this stat at halftime. Kentucky was up 10-5 to 5 in points off turnovers, and I told Mike, I said, Auburn's a team that has I think it turned it over 41 times in the previous two games. I said that 10 to 5 advantage, Kentucky might be able to build on that in the second half. And instead, it was like 20 to 12 Auburn after the game, where they got 15 points just off turnovers, and some of them just, you know, right out in the open court where they didn't have to face any defense going down and scoring. Yeah, the kind of basket it seemed like Kentucky never gets, does it? Tom? Right. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, when you're struggling to make shots, the more you can get, you know, just off you know, steals, runouts, whatever in transition, or offensive rebounds, or just some way. I said at one point to Mike, I think it was off the air, I said, at some point, I think you guys would maybe just get so frustrated, just drive. I don't care if you run over anybody. Maybe they'll call it on the other guy. Just try to drive and dunk everything, and maybe you'll get fouled. Uh, yeah, go, go, go the old James, James Lee philosophy. Yeah, it feels that way sometimes when uh, you're watching a team that is uh, struggling to put the ball in the basket. We'll continue with Larry Vaught here in just a bit as we hit the midway point on the Tuesday edition of the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Happy birthday to Dolly Parton. Larry Vaughn, I saw you were tweeting about uh, a birthday uh, salute to Dolly. Got a favorite Dolly Parton song? I hate Dolly Parton song. It's good to meet Tom. I just, uh, I just admire the lady. Been lucky enough to be around her a few times and just think uh, her, her career has just been fabulous and the work she does to support so many different functions is just amazing to me. Um, I got a... Uh, Dolly Parton uh, album, uh, the one with uh, Jolene on it uh, from the, my kids oh. as uh, one of the Christmas presents. Um, and there are people in life that uh, attain 
fame and and then maybe you have a chance to meet him and sometimes you're disappointed i've never had a chance to meet dolly but i'm very confident that i wouldn't be disappointed if i did meet her no she the the, the times i've been able to be around her i mean you would think you were her best friend the way she talked to you and spends time with you and just smiles and just makes everybody feel better around her and the people that that work for and with her they just think the world of her so it's a it's pretty nice and to see all that she's done uh, i mean my, my grandchildren in tennessee have i don't know how many books because of dolly's foundation that sends books to every child in tennessee uh, to help them with their reading and then what she's done recently with the uh, uh, coronavirus donations and all it's just a r- remarkable remarkable woman God bless Dolly. Um, let's get back to a little Kentucky basketball. Uh, one thing Cal was talking about last night, uh, he mentioned that he um, would, uh, a couple of players, he said, it elevated themselves into starting roles if they can hold on to that today. Uh, is it, it sure sounds like maybe Dante Allen might be moving into the starting lineup. Well, it would, it would be hard for me to think that anybody else could do more to elevate themselves than what Dante has and and again just starting Dante is not going to cure all the issues that Kentucky has it might make the fan base feel better than anything else but they've got a lot of issues whether Dante's coming off the bench or starting but I think just from the perception and what you've always talked about he, he gives players what they earn it seems like right now that Dante has certainly earned the right to be one of the top five players when, the, when they start the game and I mean, I think everybody agrees that he changes the offense when they're when they're on the court because of not only his shooting, but it's what he opens up and helps other players have the opportunity to do. And, and when you're four and eight, it's hard to make moves that are going to hurt you much. So you, you've got to try something different, I think. And and I think we will see some of that on. on Wednesday, or, or I hope we do anyway. One of the things uh, Cal mentioned at one point last night was um, about uh, the fact that from game to game, hard to, hard to know what you're going to get from a lot of the guys. Uh, Olivier Sars, you know, wildly up and down, uh, just as an example. Uh, you know, BJ had uh, at least, you know, for his struggle shooting, had, had scored, you know, double figures consistently. And now, you know, he is at like three of the last four in, in the single digits. Uh, Mince is the guy maybe, it, uh, it's not been a, a perfect upward curve, but he, he's maybe the, the guy I feel most reliable on of, of what I'd get from night to night. But the one thing with Allen is I think at least uh, when, when Dante is on the floor, he does draw attention. And hopefully he, he makes shots, but uh, in addition to that, he also does draw a defensive attention, which maybe, maybe helps you a little bit. Yeah, I, th- I think it has to because he makes the defense have to be aware of him and everything that's going on a- a- around him. And it's a little bit harder to sag off of him, or, or if you do, he- he's a guy that can make you pay for it. He's shown a few times that he can put the ball on the floor and just go ahead and go to the basket if you're way overplaying. And, and they just need somebody that can give them some offense. I mean, every one of their losses, they've been at 65 points or less. And it, it's just hard to win when, when you can't get points. And Dante creates points for himself and gives others the opportunity to score. And, and as you know, when John was talking about the, other, about the team this year, I mean, they've been so consistently inconsistent. It, it is frustrating. There's not that one guy you could just put down and say, well, he's going to get me 14 to 6 every night. They haven't haven't had that and they sure need that and, and maybe keeping Dante on the floor more 
we'll give more guys a chance where maybe the, a couple of them can be that guy for you. Uh, let's shift to a little football. Uh, we haven't talked since the Wondell Robinson news broke for Kentucky. Um, what's your take on what uh, how he changes Kentucky football next season? I, I think it's huge, Tom. I mean, I think he gives you that guy that comes in and, and obviously becomes the, the best recruit you have in your in this most recent recruiting class because of what he has shown he could do, not just at Western Hills High School, but what he's proven he could do at Nebraska for the last two years and, and done against some good competition. So now he comes in, and I think in my estimation, he would kind of be like Dante Allen. He gets where he can change everybody else's role on the offense for you because they have to pay attention to him, which should make it easier for Josh Ali to get open. I would think it would make it a little bit easier for Chris Rodriguez to run the ball because I don't think you'll see near as many eight-man fronts when you have Don, uh, when you have Wandale in the game there because he can make you pay for that, and he's an experience. He's got that experience that can hopefully help some of these young receivers. I I would think maybe he could even help you in the return game based on what I used to watch him do in high school. Now they may think he's too valuable and don't want to take a chance on getting him hurt in the return game, but. Maybe he could be like Lynn Bowden. When you think you need something big, you give him a chance on those couple times uh, to, to do something like that. But he, he's not a Olympic-type sprinter, but he's got more than adequate speed. I watched him enough in high school to know that even though he's not a huge kid, he's, he's a tough kid. He can get you some yards after the catch, and he's not afraid to take contact. So I think he's just a big, big addition for him and a really – fit in well with what Liam Cohen's going to try to do offensively. And he's really good friends with Bo, with Bo Allen, which can't hurt anything. We're talking with Larry Vaught. You can read him at vaughtsviews.com and yoursportsedge.com. Uh, let's chat briefly about a couple of stories that uh, you have recently posted. One comes from the bowl game and uh, the wristband that uh, we learned during, I think, the course of the Gator Bowl that Brandon Eccles was wearing to honor a, uh, a fallen soldier with the same last name to whom he was not related, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, Allie Eccles, it was her husband, Tom, who was uh, killed serving our country in, in Iraq, and uh, she had reached out when she, she, a couple of years ago they, they heard her daughter had really got excited because there was an Eccles on the football team, and she talked about how much it meant when they heard the name Eccles uh, correctly pronounced by you guys that, that they like that because a lot of people doesn't. And so they, they reached out to UK, and Susan Lacks uh, was more than willing to try to help them get this memory bracelet, and Brandon was all for putting the bracelet on, wearing it, made a little video before the game, and it, it meant a lot to them to help remember uh, Tom, who ironically would have been his birthday, or was his birthday on the day of the of the bowl game. And I, I thought it was really kind of funny when she talked about the flop that Brandon did during the day, game. She said she thought that had to be karma because that was just the same kind of goofball that her husband was, the same <laughs> type of thing that he would have tried to do and all. She said her and her sister-in-law got the biggest life out of watching that because it made them think about yeah, he's got that bracelet on, he's acting just like Tom. So if you hadn't had a chance to read the story, I, I would encourage you to do it because it was a really nice gesture by U.K. football that meant a lot to that family who certainly deserves a, a, all of our appreciation for the loss that they uh, incurred. And Oscar Shibway is joining the basketball team, uh, I would assume, sometime this week, um, transfer from West Virginia, and uh, you caught up with uh, somebody close to him. Yeah, with Anna Marie Trullo, who's a sports director of a TV station in, in Charleston, West Virginia, and talked a little bit about him. And, and one of the things that I really liked was she told me that how much she liked him 
off the court, and she relayed the story about uh, when they, the West Virginia basketball players went to visit the Children's Hospital there, kind of like the U.K. athletes do here, that Oscar was the guy that dressed up and played Santa Claus for him so, huh. uh, during his freshman year. So I, I, I like that personality trait in the player. Good uh, good for him. Larry, thank you much. You can read those stories at uh, vaultsfuse.com and yoursportsedge.com. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, Tom. As Larry Vaught, we're going to get to a break. Rob Doster, college basketball writer for The Rebound, coming up next on the Leach Report Radio Network. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at Tom Leach KY. Back to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline, and we bring on Rob Doster, a longtime college basketball writer, uh, now runs the, the site called The Rebound, where you can uh, subscribe to get uh, his coverage of college basketball throughout this season. And Rob, last night on his radio show, uh, John Calipari talked about uh, after the, his uh, news conference after the game Saturday, he could have uh, chosen his words better and explained trying to explain what he was talking about. You had uh, written about this yesterday at the rebound and uh, your your read on it. Do you think it stems from frustration? Yeah, I, I think it does. And I think he's also just a little bit overwhelmed at this point, as we all are. Um, you know, it, not only is he dealing with the, the worst season that he's ever had, um, as, probably as a basketball coach at this point, um, but, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a, a pandemic that has completely changed our way of life. And, um, he's also, you know, I, I feel like this has kind of gone forgotten under the radar a little bit, but he's dealing with the death of a guy that, that played on his team last year. Uh, so it's it's not like, I don't think that he's necessarily in uh, the best state of mind. Um, and, and, you know, I can forgive someone that is normally so uh, so good with words and so good with spin and so good uh, getting his point across in press conferences at uh, being a little bit flustered. And overwhelmed, given everything that he is kind of you know dealing with at this point. Um, and you know, to be honest, like I, I, I wrote this the other day. I think the biggest issue that he's dealing with right now is it's just that he has not been able to modernize what he does um, to the point that he's able to deal with uh, having talent that is kind of uh, on par with other teams. If that makes sense. Uh, elaborate on that a little bit in terms of what uh, you think he uh, should look at doing differently. Well, I mean, the biggest thing that, that he's done over the years is that he's kind of built an offense that's centered around having either a great post uh, that he could just kind of throw the ball into and, you know, you're going to get a bucket every time, whether it's like a Carl Towns or a DeMarcus Cousins or, um, you know, even to a point someone like a P.J. Washington or having a guy that he can run off of those baseline screens that he knows uh, is going to be able to, to come off of those pin downs and come off of those staggers and be able to get a shot like a, a Malik Monk or a Jamal Murray or – um, even like a Tyler Hero a couple of years ago. You know, that's kind of what uh, his bread, bread and butter has been. He doesn't run uh, a very complicated offensive system. You know, it's actually, I don't want to call it basic, but it, it's it's limited in its scope. You know, he's not a guy that has 50 or 60 different plays in his playbook with a, a different counter to every action that he has within each of those plays. Um, they, they basically just kind of do what they do. They figure out what works and they run it over and over and over again. And, and, you know, to a point that makes sense, especially when you guys to have guys that can win one-on-one in, in certain positions. But, you know, when you have Olivier Saul on the block, he's not a guy that you can throw the ball into and, and you know, expect him to get uh, a foul or a bucket on every single possession that he gets a post-touch. And, and you know, D.J. Boston 
uh, in theory, was a guy that should be able to kind of run off screens and get, be your bucket getter in that role, but he hasn't been so far this season. So um, not having the guys that can do those things has kind of limited what he's able to do offensively, um, and they don't really have a response. So now like they're playing uh, two big guys out there against teams that want to go small and face the court, and they can't take advantage of it at the other end, so all they're doing is just playing a defensive mismatch. Or, um, you, you know, you're, you're trying to get Dante Allen on the floor, uh, because of his shooting, but he's just such a, a liability on the defensive end that, like, you don't really know um, how you can get him out there. You know, at some point, I know everyone's been throwing out the plus-minus stat from um, from from Saturday's game against Auburn. Uh, Dante Allen was plus eleven, um, and they were minus eighteen when he wasn't on the floor. First and foremost, plus-minus is like the noisiest stat there is in basketball. There's so much else going on that you can't really credit everything that happens to one person. And the other part of it is, like, if you go watch the tape. Every single time, and like the, the two minutes before um, Allen was pulled in the second half, every single possession that Auburn had, they went at him. And they got a bucket like 75% of the time. So I can understand why Cal is, is, is frustrated. Like the reason he's out there is to have plays drawn up for him so he can come off and, and hit an open three. He gets a wide open three off of a play that they call. There was no one within eight feet of him, puts the ball on the floor, he doesn't take the shot. So if you're not out there to shoot and you're not out there to make the shots that we him up for you, what's the point of you being out there? He's like he's not a three and D guy, right? He's a three and not much else. But he's a very, very good shooter. So shoot the ball. That's what your job is. Uh, you uh, wrote in your story about uh, another player. I can't remember who offhand you mentioned, but that a player has to learn sometimes that it's not being selfish if you take a lot of shots because the role is to be the shooter. Sometimes, yeah, it, it was it was Duncan Robinson when like he's talked about this at length about how when he got to the NBA. The hardest thing for him to do was was learn that the selfish thing was to not shoot the open shots that were drawn up for him. And I mean, Duncan Robinson, as a kid, started the Division Three level, uh, was a redshirt at Michigan, ended up coming off of the bench his senior season, uh, wasn't even drafted, um, and he gets sent to like the on some of these NBA teams and NBA practices and G League games where he's playing with like all Americans and lottery picks and and uh, guys that like had been longtime pros. And it was hard for him to wrap his head around the idea that these plays that are being drawn up for you are being drawn up for you for a reason. They want you to shoot. You're not out there for any other reason other than to shoot. So if you are not shooting when you're on the floor, then you know you're you're nothing but a liability out there. And I think that Dante Allen is, is dealing with some of that same stuff. Like uh, another place that I think you can can be fairly critical of Cal here is that he spent like the first six weeks of this season kind of like playing down just how good Allen can be and whether or not he's, he's he's like he deserves a spot on this team. He's not doing it in practice. But all, I mean, we all know the stuff that he said in that during that process. So like I can, I can imagine like six games, I mean, Allen's effectively six games into his college basketball career. He probably doesn't have as much confidence as you need to be able to go out there and shoot eight, nine, ten threes a game, which is what Kentucky, I would assume, uh, in an ideal world wants him to do. So, um, I can kind of understand why Allen is in that mindset. You know, you're on the floor with B.J. Boston, potential lottery pick. You're on the floor with Isaiah Jackson, five-star recruit. You're on the floor with Devin Askey, five-star recruit. And you're the one that's out there, the guy that, that Coach Cal has been saying wasn't ready to play in these games, and you're supposed to shoot every time you touch it. But that's, that's a mindset that he needs to be able to get himself into, and it's something that is not always the easiest to flip on. So I, I think he'll get there. It takes some time to work through it, though. It's got to be challenging as a coach when you have a, a, a roster, it seems, where, uh, and look at the, the bigs, where Saar might be your best offensive option for a, for a low post guy, but then Lance Ware's playing great on the defensive end, but then he has really 
uh, trouble scoring. And then you mentioned, you know, Dante offense versus defense. Same for BJ. And, uh, you've got a, a lot of guys where, you know, a football team, you could sub offense and defense and you could uh, pull this off, but you can't do that in basketball. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's never an ideal situation when your best offensive five is so different from what your best defensive five is. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like, uh, uh, you want to talk about, um, like, where Cal is falling behind a little bit. I, I kind of think his best lineup would to just be play Keon Brooks at the five, get both of your point guards out there, Devin Askew and Davion Mitz, and then kind of fill in the gaps with um, Dante Allen and Jacob Toppin um, and, and Brandon Boston. Maybe if you want to go a little bit bigger, you can put Isaiah Jackson at the five. But, but really, like, lean into this kind of small ball, five-out phenomenon that's going on in college basketball right now because he has the pieces to be able to do it. But he's never really coached that way. You know, he's never really been a guy that didn't have two bigs on the floor. He's never really been a guy that didn't have – Kind of that low post um, threat, like, and I don't want to say that that it's bad because you can win that way. You know, I mean, Roy Williams won the national title in two, 2017 with two low post players in Kennedy Beeks and Isaiah Hicks, and the team he beat, Gonzaga, played a, a seven foot one guy that might have been the slowest player in the history of college basketball, Shemek Karnowski. So it's like you can win doing this. You know, the the, the great thing about college basketball is like uh, the the styles win fights, right? So as long as you're able to match up with teams the right way. You can win those games. Now, the problem is you don't have those guys of your cow, so you got to change something. You just Rob, can't keep beating your head against the wall. So, Rob Doster, the rebound. Uh, what's the uh, website for folks to subscribe? Uh, it's, it's at the rebound. You can find it on my Twitter feed, and that's the best way to subscribe to it. Great, thanks, Rob. Always a pleasure, guys. We'll wrap it up after this timeout on the Leach Report Radio Network. Stay Wildcat History is presented by the new Rave On app. And in 2000 on this night, jerseys were retired at Rupp Arena for Jamal Mashburn, Pat Riley, and Bill Spivey ahead of a Kentucky Ole Miss game. And a Wildcat football legend was born on this day, Lou Michaels. Uh, showdown of top ten teams in college hoops last night. Kansas beat Baylor. Or, excuse me, Baylor beat Kansas. I mean, they're right. Baylor, high-ranked, uh, beat the Jayhawks, uh, 77-69. Also, so that uh, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, all unranked in the Associated Press poll. First time that's happened since 1961. Game day tomorrow. We'll see you to talk about the Cats and the Georgia Bulldogs. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow The Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leachreport at gmail.com. See you next time. Right